this morning we come to a passage. Folks, that it's, uh, sometimes it's fun to live this uh, when you know the outcome. But if you don't know the outcome, you really don't know that you want to be there. So let me read the passage and catch you up. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's in Matthew chapter uh, 6. And we're going to start in verse 25. And the, the title of my Bible says, The Cure for Anxiety. Now, I, I don't know that uh, we're going to get there until maybe next week. We just want to set out the anxiety first, let you live with it for a little while. <laughs> I love that. You know, have to wrestle with it. But now, we're, going to, we're hopefully going to give you some, some answers here. But let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what you will eat or to what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on, is not, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not worth more than, than they? Are you not more worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, I love, the buts in the Bible are so good. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when you have trouble, you know you have trouble. Uh, you can feel it in your person. You can feel it from all different angles. It's coming. Uh, you, you know that it's happening. Whenever, though, people hear this portion of Scripture, they always think it's about anxiety. Folks, I, I, can I tell you something? I don't think it's just about anxiety that the Lord is trying to communicate to us here. I think he wants to go beyond that. He, he wants to take us to a deeper level beyond just the communication of anxiety. There's something, more, there's something deeper and more significant here that we need to see. Can I tell you, I believe that Jesus is talking about faith. I think he's talking about faith. Not the faith of salvation. Not the faith of salvation. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be given the gift of salvation. But it's the faith in believing that Jesus is in control of everything. Control of everything. When I was speaking with Greg this morning, I said, so when are you going to have that first short-term team over to help clean up the church? Uh, Bill, who's going to want to come over with an AK-47? You know, I, I, I'm, he and I just, I've been there a few times, so we know how we talk with one another. They're going to need that. The, the churches and rumbles and some churches aren't even existing anymore. That's trouble. That's real trouble. 
Whenever the subject of faith is mentioned, Christians automatically think of the gift of faith that they were given when they were saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's what they think about. That gift is, is given once you are saved. It is not something that you work for. It's not something that you earn. It is a gift from God, and he gives it to you. Turn with me to Romans 10. We're going to we'll eventually get back to um, Matthew, but Romans 10. And this is a, just a very simple, when you're speaking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, when you're speaking to someone who does not have salvation, you can easily go to this passage and you can, you can read this to them. And you say, it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Folks, when you say that, it's not just, you know, recognizing him. You know, it's not like recognizing Joe Biden as the president of the United States. You're recognizing Jesus Christ as Lord. That means of your whole life. Everything. So, so some folks may have confessed Jesus as Lord, but he's still not Lord of their life. They keep doing what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And they really don't know him. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But it's making him that Lord that he's going to be able to tell you where to go, when to go, how to go. It's like joining the army. Not that I'm wanting you to join the army. You don't pick and choose what time you wake up in the morning. He tells you what time to wake up. That is your sergeant, your captain, your whatever. They're going to tell you when to wake up. Do you know they even tell you what kind of clothes you have to wear? And you wear those same clothes. Not only that, but they... They even tell you how you cut your hair. They tell you when you have to be in the barracks. They, all of this, that's what they do. But that's, that's the same thing that we do when we come to Jesus Christ. He then is Lord of your life. But look at this, that we're saved for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. There has to be a change of life. I mean, I've had people come into my office and, and say that they're a Christian, and, and then they tell me what they've been doing for the last 10 years. And I go, I'm sorry, but you can't be a, a whatever they may have told me, let's say a rapist and a, a murderer and a ceiling of banks. You, you can't be a Christian and do that. That's not what a Christian does. That's not what a Christian's life is to reflect. You see, when we confess, and it goes on there, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord of all of our life. We don't try to hold on to some little part of it and live it the way we want to live it. Because you know, folks, he knows what's going on. Even if it's just in your mind, he knows what's going on. So you have to discipline yourself in those areas. But I didn't want to get stuck on this for, for now, although this is very wonderful. At the point of salvation, though, all who are his are granted this gift of faith. But notice the result of that gift of faith is the gift of believing in him, and it results in righteousness. 
Romans 10, 17. You can go down, look at that. And it says, so, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Folks, the gift of faith is a miracle. The gift of faith is a miracle. It was granted at salvation, yes, that you would walk in righteousness, that your life would portray righteousness. Not just salvation, though. That gift of faith is also for sanctification. That means of, the means of making you holy. That's what it's supposed to be doing, is to be making you holy. So when that problem comes, that anxiety comes, when that disappointment comes, when that trouble comes, where do you run? Where do you run? Do you hide under the blanket? Do you go out to the desert? Do you do it? What do you do? Do you go to the Lord? That's what you're called to do, is to go to Him. To seek Him out. Romans 5 Verse 1 says this, therefore, having been justified by, uh, and justified means being saved, and how are you justified? By faith. We have peace with God. Do you know the, the, the thing about anxiety? The thing about anxiety, it's trouble. People are at war in their mind. That's what's going on. They've got, they've got a whole war going on. And Jesus Christ is offering peace. You know, as a biblical counselor, you know, I bring this up once in a while. We ask him, what, well, what, have you, what are you looking for? What do you want to get out of this? Do you know one of the top answers is peace? Because that trouble seems so overwhelming to them. They don't know how to handle the trouble. Can I tell you folks, if you are a believer, it's going to come James 1 says, consider it all joy, my brother, and when you encounter various trials. Why? Because God is going to grow you for the next trouble. That's what he's going to do. He's going to grow you for the next trouble. And if you don't have all of that equipment to know how to handle it, you're going to get into trouble. Nevertheless, I could go off on this and never get to my message. But... When you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, there is no longer enmity. There's no longer this war going on between God and the believer. The result is that we walk in peace. That's what it's supposed to be, that we walk in peace. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have trouble. We walk in peace, and with that peace, God is going to produce fruit. He's going to produce fruit. <clears throat> but I know some of you are out there and you're saying, but... Uh, this is not such a peaceful passage, Pastor. This, this doesn't say anything. It's not talking about peace in here. It speaks about worry and anxiety. For the folks that were in the ancient Near East that Jesus is speaking to on that mountain there, they're worried. They're worried about the clothing that they have on. They're worried about the food that they eat. Do you know they had food shortages in those days? If it didn't rain, the early rains and the late rains, they didn't get food. And they were going to be hungry. Currently, I hear that in Europe, there is some worry, concern. There isn't going to be enough food for Europe coming this year. Why? Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. 
<clears throat> if you've ever been there, and I've, I've driven there with, with my friends, you, you can drive for miles and miles and miles, and all you see is these fields. They just keep going on and on and on. Well, they feed Europe. Guess what's not happening? There's no planting going on. The frost is gone, but there's no planting going on. So this breadbasket of Europe is not going to be producing. So <clears throat> there could be some problems there. But you know what is happening? And I heard it this morning from Greg. They have people from Warsaw and they have people from Berlin bringing food to them so that they could distribute it at their church. So that they could actually have a meal. Because some of them haven't eaten for three and four days. We warned if we miss a meal. Oh, how can I miss a meal? Ooh, we get all kinds of worried about that. But you know what? We do have anxiety here in our country. Gas prices. Yeah, that seems to be going up. People are worried about that. Crime seems to be getting worse and worse. More and more homeless seem to be out there in the streets. Um, I had my car broken into the other night. I mean, those kinds of things happen. Personal, these are things that are going to be aggravating to you. And, you know, for all of us, maybe our anxiety quotient isn't full yet, but it's, it can get there pretty quickly. Losing your job. It's talking to a doctor where he happens to work. He has to get the jab, but he won't get it. So he's no longer a doctor. He's out driving Uber. So, I mean, you got to do something. So he can't do that kind of thing. And I, I hear some other ways that they're... they're they're getting around that. But folks, let's get back to our passage. Matthew chapter 6. I want you to see something here today. Jesus is to do something. He's going to proclaim three prohibitions. Three prohibitions. And then he's going to offer three questions at the same time. I love the way Jesus puts this together. Uh, he, he certainly knows how to put a message together. But three prohibitions and three questions. The first Prohibition is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. <clears throat> and he says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, as to what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? <clears throat> Please note here, he, Jesus says, your life. He's speaking to you as an individual. Yes, he's speaking to a whole church, speaking to a whole mountainside, but he's speaking to the individual. By the way, that's the life that he granted to you as a creator. He gave it to you. He gave you your bodies. He gave you your minds. He gave you your strength. He gave you your breath. As a matter of fact, he gave you the talent that you may or may not have. <clears throat> A daughter was saying the other day, there's so many men that are on the staff at her church that know how to play in musical instruments. I said, well, I do too. I know how to play the radio. <clears throat> Some people have the talent of being able to play a musical instrument, and I love listening to music. And some don't. It says here, since he gave you those things, what is he going to keep back from you? If he gave you the strength to make money, if he gave you the talent, if he gave you the breath, if he gave you the life, if he gave you all those things, why would he hold back anything from you? <clears throat> but you want to know what the first prohibition is. Number one, do not be worried. Do 
not be worried. In some translations, I like this, and I, I don't know if you have that particular translation, it says, do not take thought. Don't they even let it come into your mind. Don't let, don't let it cross your mind. Do not even think about it. Don't spend time thinking about it. It, it. That's not the issue that you should be concerned with. You see, the life of the person is held in the hand of the master. And he will give you what is necessary for you. I always say, it's for my good. When I have trouble, it's for my good. There's something I need to learn. There's something, some way I need to grow. There's something I need to understand. There's something I may need to correct. <clears throat> but it's from the master. So I can't be worried about it. I can't be worried about something that's physical or mental or emotional or even for my spiritual life. I need to keep running back to the cross. I need to keep going back to the word. I need to keep going back to my master. When I say do not be worried, okay, now, because I know there are some of you out there, probably two to four of you. I, how do I know? When I say do not be worried, that means for some people, ah, I don't have to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. I don't have to be worried. Bill Shannon says, yeah, I'll be taken care of. That's not what I'm saying here, and that's not what Jesus is saying here, okay? Do not be worried about your body so you can go do whatever you want to do. I, I was trying to make something funny here, and I says, well, then you could start to eat like Bill Shannon and drink Coke and no vegetables and... <clears throat> We're out to dinner the other night, and my daughter kept putting asparagus on my plate. <laughs> well, how you do that? I'm, I'm already having onions. <laughs> they may have been a different kind of onion, but, you know. And I had steak and that kind of thing. And Yeah, do not be worried. doesn't mean that you just sit back and take it easy. You still have to do those things. You still have responsibility. And I want you to take responsibility, so don't blame me when you go on welfare. <laughs> you need to go to work. Do not be worried has the idea of stop worrying and do not start it again. Stop worrying and do not start it again. I, there's a famous pastor. I haven't seen him in a little while, but he's, he, he writes a lot, and his name is John MacArthur. Anybody here heard about him? Okay. <laughs> He said this, worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God. And yet it is a sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other. And I don't think he took a survey, but I think he knows humanity. We so easily go down that trail. We so easily fall into, oh, it's going to rain today. And I wonder if I can do this, and I wonder if I can do that. Oh, it's sunny out today. I don't know if I can go out. I may get sunburned. And you start worrying about all of these things. And why do you do all of that? Oh, I got to go to the doctor. I wonder what he's going to find this time. Yeah, I, I do tele-doctor now. I love that. <laughs> and just get on the screen and, hey, yeah, I'm feeling fine, doc. Thanks. <laughs> Goodbye. <clears throat> $30 for that visit. <clears throat> so the first prohibition is do not worry. The first question is this. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
The follower of Jesus Christ is not to be worried over the things of life. And again, what that doesn't mean is that you sit at home and wait for everything. It doesn't mean that you accumulate clothing and put it in your closet and you never see it again. Now, we discussed this kind of message in the last time we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I'm going to refer you to that, so I don't want to get into that too much about what you accumulate. What do you have, okay, to be worried about? I mean, really, seriously, think about it. What do you have to be worried about? What's out there that's so dangerous? What can hurt you? Can take your life? What are you worried about? You've got eternity with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if you're His. Now, I'm also a realist, folks. When I ask that question, what are you worried about? I look at some faces out there that I know, and I know you have trouble. Some of you are married to someone who's not walking with the Lord. You're unequally yoked, and it's ugly. I mean, really ugly sometimes. And you're hurting. And you're unloved, so to speak. Can I tell you, you're loved more than anybody. Because the Lord Jesus Christ still has his heart there for you. Don't ever think that you're not being loved. Yes, you may be in a time period of this person. I know some of you are out there and you're saying, but my kids are in rebellion and they aren't walking with the Lord. I I understand that. I know that. I've talked to many parents. I've talked to many of the kids too on occasion that are in rebellion and you know, I've given the Lord the Heisman, so to speak. Some of you are saying, but Bill, I have more bills than I do money. I understand. I understand. Talk to your pastor. Pray with your pastor. See what we can do. My job is tenuous. I don't know that I'm going to have it for much longer. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. The Lord is still there. The Lord hasn't left you. And we could go on and on and on with some single people who want to be married. Well, you may just marry that person who now makes you unhappy because they're not walking with the Lord. So be content where you are. I I love what Paul does in the Philippians 4. And he talks about contentment. Whether I have much or I have little, it doesn't matter. I am the Lord's. That's what matters. So, Jesus, your Lord and Savior, your Creator says, do not be worried. Do not be worried. But I do empathize. I do want you to know that. I have had in my office the parents that are crying for their children. I have heard the heart cry of a wife who's married to a husband who doesn't pay any attention to her. I I even remember the time where I told a a young lady, don't marry this guy. She drives off to Vegas, marries the guy, and then calls me up and said, I've made a terrible mistake. Well, now what do I do? I don't tell her, you know, run away from that. No, you're now married. 
Take it to 1 Peter 3. That even if he is disobedient to the word, that you are to stay in that marriage. Folks, I understand the heart cry. I've heard it. I've seen it. Even this week, I got a text from one of our seminary graduates. And he's dealing with a family with a daughter who tried to commit suicide. What do I say to them, Pastor? What do I do? It's heart-wrenching. Life is painful. It's painful to be in those situations. But Jesus says, very simply, do not worry. And if Jesus says it, I believe it. Obviously, Jesus kept the things that his listeners worried about to food and clothing because it's very simple and it's very in front of them. They had that happen very often. Yet, I've widened the issues a little bit because of our context being a little bit different. But I, I think you can understand why I did that. Today, food is readily available. Clothes fill your closets. But some of you still struggle with it. Some of you still struggle with it. Because some of you still need that newest pair of shoes. I don't know who you are. <laughs> don't have a clue. Some of you need that new greatest gadget, you know, and you need to get it. You know, people are saying, I, I need this new thing. I remember, oh my, it goes back to my sales days. When the car phone came out, Okay, and people were putting the car phone in the car. Well, in sales, I, I needed that. Okay, and so I went out and I got one installed in my car for $1,500. Yeah, you think your iPhone is a lot. <laughs> and I find out a guy in the business had a phony put in his car for $300. But it's a phony. You can't call anybody. <laughs> But it looks good. So think about it, folks. <laughs> Just because you think of what people are going to say about you. See, Jesus answers this prohibition to worry with a question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? These are the basics of life. Jesus is saying worry over the, these things accomplishes nothing. I think of my friend and in Ukraine, I, I, Bruce Alvarez wrote to me the other day, and I, they don't even know where the food's going to come from. I don't have a clue, but it keeps coming. And they keep being taken care of. He, he was leaving one night out of southern Kiev, and they were moving towards the western border, and, and they're in a, a cloud of fog, and, and they're getting shot at because they've got their lights on in their car. And so one of the guys is a, a They've got three cars. He says, shut off your lights. And, and they do when they finally get out of the, the whole thing the, and the, the shooting stop. Well, he finds a bullet because his tire is flat. He's got a bullet in the tire. He, by the way, you'll get to see that when he comes home. He's, he says, that's going to be my keepsake. How the Lord takes care of him. A bullet hit a tire, not him. You see, God wants you to trust him. God wants you to trust him in the smallest of situations in life, food and clothing, as well as those heart issues, those wrenching disappointments of life. He wants you to trust him. I understand, and certainly Jesus understands, some of those things are very dear. 
very dear to your heart. They're your children. They're your spouse. They're your parents, maybe. Whatever it is. The concern for the other person is very precious. And this concern, by the way, is not missed in in the scriptures. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, you don't need to turn there. He says this, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. He's speaking of Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy will be concerned for you also. Concerned, godly concern is different than worry though. Godly concern sends you to the cross, sends you to your knees. Godly concern sends you to your Savior. Worry, guess where it sends you? Poor me. Poor me. How can this happen? And it's thinking about me only. It's not thinking about others. God calls you to be thinking about others. Poor me. We need to go to the cross when we start to have those kinds of situations. Second prohibition is found in 626. 626. And and Jesus says there, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worthy much more than they? Second prohibition, find this very interesting. It's exactly like the the first one. Do not worry. Now, when Jesus says something once, it's important. When he says it twice, it's really important. Watch out, folks. Birds, what does birds have to do with this? Glad my son-in-law is not here because he's a bird aficionado. How does your worth match up with the birds? And so years ago, when I was going through this passage, I said, ah, let me check what the birds were worth in the day of Jesus. 500 birds were about $2.50. Today with inflation, probably $3.25. That's how much birds were worth. So they weren't really worth very much. The second prohibition is this, do not worry, as I just said. The second question is, are you not worth more than they? Now, during COVID, my dear wife went on a planting spree. She thought we just needed to have more flowers around. I don't know if it was going to soak up the virus or whatever, but she wanted to get more flowers out there. And we got more flowers out there. Uh, The plants that you could bring in there and all of this kind of stuff. They cover the backyard. They cover the front yard. Now I worry about my water bill. (laughs) When I get up in the morning, though, I'm getting the great pleasure of being able to go out on my back porch and sit there. And I see these beautiful little hummingbirds flitting around back and forth, going after the... Do you know, they don't care that Bill Shannon is out there. They don't care about anything. All they care about is the next flower and the next flower and the next flower. And God keeps taking care of them. I mean, even when we have it trimmed a little bit or butchered by our gardener, (laughs) they still keep coming back. They keep looking for more. They keep looking for more. They're not worried. They're not concerned. They do that all day long, and then they rest. The picture that Jesus is giving 
those on the mountainside, is this is the providential care of God. And if he's called you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light, can he not take care of you? And you are much more than birds. Listen to how God provides for even the unclean birds. You don't need to turn there. And when I say unclean birds, remember in the Old Testament, God defined unclean birds and clean birds. You know, the clean birds you could eat, the unclean you couldn't eat. But in Job 38, 41, just you can jot that down in your mind, Job 38, 41, it says this, who prepares for the raven its nourishment? When it is young, when it's young cry to God and wander uh, about for food. God is the answer. He takes care of them. God takes care of them. Will he not take care of us? Uh, Again, Psalm 147, verse 9. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. God takes care of them. No matter what kind of beast it is, they get fed. And they are taken care of by that nourishment that God has there for them. If God then provides for birds, the insignificant, how much more will he care for you? That's what he does. He's in that kind of business. So when you have that worry, you don't need to continue to build on it. Just give it to the Lord. It's like this. Lord, it's your worry. You want to give it to me? I've got it. You want to take it back? You can have it. It's okay. Keep your hands open. But when you start to worry about it so much, that grip gets tighter and tighter and tighter on that issue. What you do is you begin to share it with other people and other people begin to always bring it up to you. And then you worry about it some more. You worry about it some more. Now the third prohibition we see in verses 27 and 28. Let's read that. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. Do they not uh, toil, nor do they spin? Do not toil, and they do not spin. Well, the third prohibition is what? Do not worry. Wow. You know, I never, in all the years that my kids live in the house, I have to tell them more than once to do something. If you believe that, I've got more to tell you. (laughs) But Jesus, when he says it, all he has to do is say it once. He said it three times, folks. Do not worry. I think we just like it. I think it just makes us feel better to feel worse. The third question is, and who do you, by being worried, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Now, I'm not a doctor. I do know what a woman is, but I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I'm not a doctor. Um, But I have heard, this is just what I've heard. I mean, I didn't do a scientific study. That the more you worry, the more you shorten your life. This here, of all the questions that is asked by Jesus, 
is the most absurd of the questions. Because worry just shortens your life, at least according to the doctors. Can I tell you, it probably doesn't. Because God already knows how many hours you have. He already knows how many minutes you have. He knows how many breaths you have. Can you imagine that he even knows down to how many breaths you have? Look with me at Psalm 139. This week I got a call from a former member of Grace Community Church. They had they moved away because it was cheaper to live in another state. Believe it or not, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and um, he just was given a diagnosis of cancer. And he has a shorter amount of time to live. And obviously, we don't even know what that is. I remember when Leela was, was diagnosed with cancer, they said, uh, what was it, two years? And she lived seven. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have no idea. But in Psalm 139, verse 13, it says this. For you formed my inward parts. That means God took care of the inward parts. Put the heart where it's supposed to be, the kidneys, all of those kinds of things. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I love this scripture. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. We were put together by God. As a matter of fact, he gave you the things that are going to kill you. Okay? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's where you got to, you see it. Eventually, that's what's going to happen. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. You know, today, they, they can't figure out when birth, you know, when uh, the child actually begins. It begins when the, the, they come together there, okay? Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. I, my kids reminded me, I used to say, well, at 50, I'm going to die. Why did I say that? My dad died at 52 and his two brothers never hit 50. I just figured, you know, it's got to be part of the genes there. Well, somehow I missed something. The, the, the God who put it together didn't put that in my genes for whatever reason. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there has not been one of them. He knows exactly how many. So why are you worried? Now, folks, that doesn't mean that you stop going to the doctor. That doesn't mean that you stop uh, your diet, okay? That doesn't mean that you do any of those things. That means that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be concerned for it. I love that scripture, but here are a couple of others, and you don't need to turn there, but just jot these down. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says this, see now that I, this is God speaking, I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. It doesn't matter. He's going to do it when he wants to do it. It's his hand and his work. And it's not any worry that we can add to it that's going to keep us so. You don't have to be running around worried about your life. First Samuel 2.6 says this, the Lord kills and makes alive. It's very simple, folks. When it's time, it's time. So all your efforts are no longer necessary to try to keep alive. All those kale salads are not necessary. 
I don't know how anybody eats that stuff. <laughs> you can actually join Bill Shannon in drinking Coke Zero. <laughs> and he doesn't drink it anymore. He, he drinks Coke, uh, he drinks root beer zero. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I, it, it, why get worried about it? What concern? My, my daughter reminded me today that maybe that's why you have some problems in your stomach. Well, yeah, maybe, but I'm, I'm going to at least enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. Why not? If it's this my life, I, I'll, I'll just enjoy it. You see, folks, you cannot change the day, the hour, the moment. I think I told you that time I was in Hyderabad, India, and five men got down on their prayer rugs, and they were Muslims, and this was right after 9-11. And I'm thinking, uh, five men in Boston, five men in New York, when they got on the plane, and I, 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 I'm going, I'm going to die up there. Okay. You know what? I came to the conclusion, 30,000 feet is much better to die at, because you're closer to heaven. <laughs> if God wants me to go, he's going to take me. It's going to take me. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be stupid in how I live, but God can do whatever he wants. Jesus does not, okay, promise that you will not go hungry. Jesus does not promise that you may have to wear a pair of shoes a little bit longer than you want to. Jesus does not promise any of those things. Privation is part of the human condition. You know, we, we should send everybody out on short term. See how other people live. Go to India, go to Ukraine, go, go to some of these places. I, I think that short term missions is the best. My, my granddaughter just came back from Kenya. Go to these different places. See what it's like. The field of flowers that is out there. By the way, I, I look up at the field of flowers. Isn't it beautiful and green? Okay, we should start taking... Uh, uh, when, when, taking I was going to say taking bets, but we don't do that in church. Uh, <laughs> as to when that's going to go. Because it's going to be four weeks, five weeks, and it's going to turn brown. And then it's all getting ready to burn later. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And that's basically what the passage says here. Three or four weeks in Southern California, boom, without any rain. It's going to turn brown. The one thing that I do know, and I know for sure, of God's care for us. I know that he cares for us. Why? Because he receives glory in doing that. And he does it for our good. And you say, but what about my getting trouble? He's doing it for your good. And, and, and I've heard a pastor say this, embrace it. Embrace it. Hold on to it. Because if it's good for you, you're going to grow by it. Let's go to a passage. Romans chapter 8. Just thought of this. Romans chapter 8. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most difficult uh, 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 Bible verses that I have to say to somebody who's got trouble. I, I, I look at it and I say, how can I say this to this person? And we know, this verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. How do you say that to a woman who just lost a, a baby at one week? 
How do you tell that to a, a young lady who's pregnant and told you need to abort the baby because it's going to die as soon as it's born? I've had that young lady in my office. I got to do the funeral for the baby. How, how, do you, how do you say God causes all things to be good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes? Why is that good? How can that be good for that person? This is why. For those whom he foreknew, and he also predestined, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. <coughs> Excuse me. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And, and these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Because that's where he's bringing you to, folks. He's bringing you to the point of glorification. But that's going to take part during your sanctification. God is going to be sanctifying you along the way. Verse uh, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? doesn't matter who's against us. It does not. He wins. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. I mean, that's our example, isn't it? Uh, 1 Peter 2, 21, he's our example of suffering, and that's what we will be doing is suffering. There's going to be suffering that goes on. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Don't worry about the length of your days, or don't worry about any of those things. You see, God created us for eternal life. Think about it. For eternal life. When he gave you salvation, he created you for eternal life. Matter of fact, folks, even for those who don't know him, have eternal death. He did that. What we have here, it's not even a moment in time. It's a New York nanosecond of time. It's nothing. It's a blink. He saved us for eternal life, to be enjoyed with him forever. Let's give him glory while we're still here and not be anxious for anything. Why then will he not take care of you? while you're on this planet. Can I tell you the next verse here? Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. I think is the pivotal verse here. I think this is the most important verse. And it can easily be overlooked because it just comes as a blink at the end there. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, like it will be here in Southern California, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith. That's the premise that I started off the message with. The problem is you of little faith. You who don't want to believe what God can do and what he does do. That's the problem. That's the issue. It comes down to a lack of faith. A lack of faith in the promises and the provision of God. What are we saying to our neighbors, to our friends, to our relatives when we get all bothered by something? You of little faith. 
I still have some more time, so I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, uh, you can turn there if you'd like, but he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? They didn't want to believe Jesus. They didn't want to sit in the boat when things were happening. Uh, Matthew 14, 31. And it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand. This is uh, uh, Peter walking on the water. And he starts to sink. And he has to reach out his hand. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And he's talking about something that's scientific, walking on water, okay? That's not natural and Jesus can control that. Look, if he can kill 185,000 soldiers outside the city gate, he can certainly do whatever he wants to do. You of little faith? And then in 16.8, same thing. But Jesus, aware of this, he said this, you men of little faith, can he not provide bread? Of course he can. And we saw that on the, on the hill. We did miracles and bread was passed out to thousands and thousands of people. Jesus is different, folks. Life with him is different. You can trust him. Down to your core, you can trust him. God takes care of the fields. God takes care of all of that. So there's an accusation here. You of little faith. Now, I got to tell you, if you come in my office and you have an anxiety issue, I'm not going to immediately say you of little faith. I want you to know that. I do have some discernment, okay? I'm going to try to show you and bring in the scriptures so that you can see it. But if you don't grasp it after a while, I'm going to say you of little faith. You of little faith. You can, if you can't trust God, then are you God's? frankly, is what it comes down to. you got to be able to trust Him. You need to be ready to appropriate the means that He gives you. Scripture, prayer, um, um, meditation, memorization, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I'm going back to this very famous pastor, John MacArthur. He said this, a person who worries about these things may have saving faith. May have saving faith. But he does not have faith that relies on God to finish what he has begun. That's the question. Does God have the means to be able to finish what he has begun? And he's begun a good work in you of Ephesians 2.10. He's created you for workmanship. He wants you to do this good work. It's already there. The incongruity, and, and it truly is, of believing God can save you from the fires of hell, but cannot appro appropriate your daily safety or sustenance is absurd. It's truly absurd. But people are that way. Now, I'm going to make a conclusion, okay, and this is my conclusion, that if you have a life of worry, it will just lead to a life of psychological confusion. Now, I did use that word, didn't I? Psychology, I use that word at Grace Church. Ooh. 
Yeah, it's going to give you a life of psychological confusion. Because it's going to mess with your mind. And when you start messing with your mind, then your heart is not with Jesus. That's the confusion that's there. The trouble with us at times is that we forget that we're children of the king. He's he's in control of all of that. As children of the king, there is nothing at all to worry about. God has his promises for us. Even in the difficulties of life. And and folks, I, I, I know the difficulties of life. We can probably all come up here and give a testimony as to the difficulties of life. But trust him. Have faith in him. I said I was going to give you time at the end. I I still have much more to go as normal. But I'm going to give you some time at the end. But I do want you to see this in verses 31 and 32. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? There's no reason for that. Do not worry is the conclusion. Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. If he already knows it, he's going to provide it. How? I don't know. What he's going to provide, I don't know. Let's give you one little story. I was in Aurangabad, India, on a train station. And uh, Chris, I'm with Chris Williams, and we'll come back to this next week. And I'm on the train station with Chris Williams, and Chris says uh, the train is late. Uh, I, and I'm... In my mind, okay, we got to get to Mumbai so I can get four hours of sleep so that I can get to Hyderabad next morning and teach. And I'm, I'm exhausted because I had just spent a whole day teaching a church there. And so I said, so Chris, what's going to happen? He says, oh, it's just late. And then a train pulls into the station. I go, oh, and he says, no, no, no. That's the train that's 12 hours late. <laughs> you want to live in another culture. You need to do that. They all run by India standard time. And um, so that's not it. And he says, well, it is coming in, but it's six tracks over. Okay. And I'm looking down the road and it's a half a mile down, up over the thing, and then a half a mile back. And I go, what, how are we going to do this, Chris? I said, I can't run that fast with all my books. And da, da, da. He says, don't worry about it. Follow me. Walks through the train, goes down the steps, and we go across the tracks. <laughs> Well, I'm looking both ways. <laughs> they're not stopping for me. I mean, and we get all the way to the other side and we jump up. And, and he said, Bill, I'm sorry, but I forgot to tell you, I only got standing room only. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to sleep on the train. But this is how God provided. That's what I wanted to show you. I get on the train and they see this gringo coming on the train. Okay. <laughs> and this fellow just gave me a, a nice little sit, seat between the cars. Okay, with some Coke bottles and then brought me some chicken biryani and I was in heaven. (laughs) And I had a good meal and the Lord provided even the meal. And not only that, but I had a seat on Coke bottles. Believe it or not, that's what it was. I stacked some Coke bottles up there and he took care of me. And it wasn't until we were about two stops from Mumbai that I actually got a seat in the train. Folks, don't worry. 
Trust him. He will provide for you. What I want you to do, and, and we only have a few minutes here, is to find someone that you can tell what you need to be trusting God for. And next week we're going to come and help you, hopefully, give you some things to think about in trying to get rid of that anxiety, because I know some of you still may be dealing with it and all of those kinds of things. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for today, and, and Lord, uh, you are good, you're always good. Uh, even in those times when we least see it, your hand of mercy is there for us. May we reach out for it and uh, ask you to help us. We pray this in your name. Amen.